0: Hey, uh, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. <clears throat> Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and, and, and chapter 2 of Ephesians, uh, what's happening here is Paul is considering the implications of Jesus' resurrection power uh, in our life. In chapter one, we really were focusing in on all of the blessings that we have in Christ, and, and now what Paul's looking at is, is what does it mean practically to be in Christ? And, and we have you know, received this resurrection power in our lives, and what are the implications of that? Well, last week, what we saw was that Jesus resurrection power, it delivers us from death, uh, and it is then deployed through us to lead others uh, from death. Uh, Paul says uh, this, as we we went through last week, hey, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. But, Paul says, God saved you by grace through faith. And now, he he goes on to say, uh, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so what Paul says is that this is all part and parcel of being in Christ. Uh, In Christ, God delivers us, and then he deploys us. He delivers us from trespasses and sins, uh, uniting us together with Jesus, and then he deploys us as his workmanship uh, to unite others together with Jesus. And in fact, five times in this chapter, Paul emphasizes this idea of togetherness. In verse 5, Paul says that he's made us alive together in Christ. In verse 6, he says there that uh, he raised us up together with Christ. And again there in verse 6, he says that he makes us sit together in Christ. We will read uh, today in verse 21 that he's actively fitting the whole church together in Christ. And again, we will read today in verse 22 that he's building us together for his very own dwelling place. And so this idea of togetherness... To God, it's a pretty big deal. Um, But (laughs) togetherness doesn't always come so easily in the church, does it? Togetherness doesn't always come easily. The story is told about uh, a guy who was on a desert island, and uh, they, they discovered him there all alone and uh, and so as as they got there and the guy comes out and he's got you know beard down to his belly button and all and uh, and so they, they they tell they ask him are, are you all alone on the island he said yes i am and they, they look kind of puzzled cuz there's three huts on the island and they said have you always been alone on the island and uh, he said yes and they they said well why did you build three huts he says well this hut is my home and and this hut is where i go to church and they said, well, what about the third hut? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, 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 the catch is, and it's been said, you know, church would be a great place if it wasn't for all the people, you know. And the thing is, is that we, we have a hard time with this issue of togetherness, don't we? It, it can be tough. Uh, and, and we laugh at this joke because it, it, it's so true, um, and, and, and so what I want to look at today and what Paul dials into at the, the last part here of Ephesians chapter 2 is, is this idea of unity in the body of Christ. And we're going to see sort of what is it that causes so much strife and animosity uh, amongst believers. Um, and, uh, and we're going to answer the question, man, what can we do about it? Because I venture to say, and, 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 and I just, you know, I won't ask for a show of hands, but so many of us can think back of, well, yeah, that's where I used to go to church, and we have bitter memories, or we have, you know, sort of maybe some of us in our wake, we've sort of got this line of destroyed and, and damaged relationships and, and all, and, and that just grieves the heart of God. So what we're going to be looking at today is, man, what causes so much strife and animosity, and, and what can we do about it? Ephesians chapter 2, we'll pick it up uh, in context in verse 10, where Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, uh, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace." And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Uh, For through him we, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners Now we started in verse 10 to pick it up in context where Paul says we are his workmanship. And, and you, you might want to circle that word workmanship and nearby uh, you could write poem or work of art. That's literally what that word workmanship means. It means poem or work of art. Now, now, let me tell you what this isn't about when Paul says this. He says to, he says to his hearers, the Ephesians, and, and the Holy Spirit would speak to us through the same verse, and he would say, listen, you are the, the, the workmanship of God. You are a work of art designed by God. And, and, and what it's not about, it's not that Paul is saying, Oh, listen, you know, like, you know, we might hear in so many schools today, you're special, you're a snowflake, you're, you know, you're one of a kind. It means that, but it's not about that. See, because here's the idea. You go, okay, well, if it means that, why isn't it about that? Well, art in its most basic sense is an expression of the artist, okay? Okay? You get that? Art in its most basic expression, it's an expression of the artist. And so when the Bible says that you're God's workmanship, yes, you're unique, yes, you're special, but it's not about that. What it's about is that you're supposed to be an expression of the artist, okay? That's a big deal because what happens is as you live out your good works, what's supposed to happen Well, people are supposed to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? And so what's supposed to happen is that as you are magnificently living out and working out your uniqueness as a a unique expression of God, well, ultimately what people should see in you is just that, an expression of God. They need to to see the artist who made us. And so what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, the artist who made you didn't reject you. The artist who made you, he loved you. And the artist who made you is all about everyone being together. You as parents, 98% of you here are are, are parents. And, um, And as a parent... When it pertains to the, the things that, you know, you're one flesh, you and your spouse, okay? So, so as one flesh, you create this human life. It's the most fascinating thing. I remember when I, when I had my first child and I held Megan in my arms and I'm looking at her and, I'm, and I was tripping out on, this. you are part of me. And I'm looking at her, and I'm seeing, you know, some of my features in her. And I'm seeing some of my wife's features in her. Fortunately for her, more of my wife than me. But as I'm looking at her, and I'm saying, this is an expression of of your your parents. This is, this, there, it's that thing. Now, what I want, then as we started having more and more, it was, you, you know, you have your next one, and you think, I couldn't possibly love this child as much as I love my first. Well, yes, I do. And then you have the next one, and, all, and, and then they gang up on you, and then, you, you know, and then everything changes. But, but you have all of your kids, and what do you want as a parent more than anything else in the world? Unity. You don't want your kids hating one another. You don't want them hating you. You want, man, can't we all just get along? You want everyone to love one another. And, and to be unified, and this is, is what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, the, 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 the artist who made you, he wants to express himself through you, and, and the, the starting point is, man, there needs to be a unity to it, and that's the, the, the first point which we'll spend a lot of time on this morning, put it on the screen for you, being together in Christ should bring unity, not division. Being together in Christ should bring unity and not division. See, disunity among God's children has always been a special heartache to God. When his children are, are, are divided. As a matter of fact, Jesus in John chapter 17, he, he's getting ready to go to the cross and four times he, he prays this, this high priestly prayer. And four times in John 17 in verse 11 and in verse 21, 22 and 23, Jesus prays for Unity. He prays that, that you and I would be one, even as he and the Father are one. And, and so what, what, we, what we see and what we know is that Jesus' prayer has been answered positionally. His prayer has been answered positionally. We know that the Bible says whatever we ask in his name, that he hears us. Jesus prayed in the perfect will of the Father, so we know that his prayer was answered. And so when Jesus prayed for us to have unity, positionally, this prayer was in fact answered. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians. Put this on the screen for you. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit, with him. And so, positionally, Jesus' prayer uh, there that we would be one, even as, as the, Jesus and the Father are one, this prayer has been answered. We're one in spirit with him. But practically, it's a whole different kettle of fish. See, practically, the truth is often tragically different. See, in the very same letter to the Corinthians, where Paul so strongly declared that we have this positional unity in Christ, that the scripture I just read to you, he who's joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Paul wrote that to the Corinthians. But in the very same letter, he also strongly rebuked the Corinthians because they were practically experiencing disunity. Again I'll put this on the screen for you. First Corinthians chapter 3, he said, "And I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ for you are not or rather for you are still carnal. For for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal?" See, the idea here is God wants you to be an expression of him and he wants that expression to be that all men will see us as God's children and he'll say, and, and the, the, the witness will be, well, wow, look at their unity, look at their love for one another. That's, that's amazing. Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples, but the love you have one for another. Here's a question for you. Do you have disunity in your life? Right now, this moment, as we're going through and we're looking at, hey man, the, 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 the heart of God is that his children should be unified. Are there people that you're estranged from? Are there people that you're separated from? Is there fractured relationships in your path? See, and, and, and the idea here, that's in general and in particular, man, God just wants his kids, his children those that, those that are, are professing faith in Him. And He wants us not to have any sort of schism or division. He doesn't want any sort of division amongst us. And so the question is, man, do I have, practically speaking, envy, strife, and division with someone else? Here in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 11 through 13, what, what Paul begins to articulate is one of the greatest conflicts in the Bible. What he's talking about is this huge division that happened between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and, and just a little history there, what happens in, in Genesis 12, as you read through it, what happens is God shows up and he, and he calls a guy named Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and and so as he calls him out of this area, which is, it, it's modern Iraq, basically. And as he calls him out of this area, he told him, hey, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And so Abram went. He followed God. He obeyed God. And, and so along the way, we have God interacting with Abram on this journey of faith. And so now, you know, he's, he's going. He's following God. God's interacting with him. And repeatedly, what happens is, is that God's promising... T- to Abram, that, that he's going to bless him, that he's going to have, he's going to give him a multitude of descendants, and so, and so on. Um, and and a new, an innumerable number of descendants is what God is promising uh, Abram. But Abram, he, you know, he's hearing these promises of God, and, and, and he continues to hear them, but he's becoming dismayed because he had no children. And so logically, he, he's, he's having this conflict within him because God is telling him and promising him, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. And he's looking at his life and he's saying, hey, look, I got no, I've got no child, so how can I have an innumerable number of descendants? That's a, there's a whole other message in that which has to do when we could take a walk with and spend the rest of the morning talking about what happens when God tells us something that, that we don't see uh, in the physical. Physical, right? And, and that's, that's a huge, that, that's where the rubber meets the road in our life when it comes to following the Lord by faith. Because the, the Bible says that whatever's not of faith is sin. So we have to live this life of faith, worshiping a God who, who is not physical, who we can't touch, uh, you know, per se. But but we have, to, we have to follow him by faith. And so what happens is oftentimes we have these crises of belief and, and it comes down to, am I going to trust the Lord or am I going to trust what I can see? Am I going to trust what I can engineer or am I going to trust what I can do? And so what happens is... is Abram is having this battle within himself. Now, the Bible calls him the father of faith, which is encouraging for us because you'd see him doing some stupid things. Case in point, what happens in Genesis chapter 15, God promised him a son, but Abram becomes uh, impatient. And so, you know, Genesis 15, then Genesis 16, he's having this conversation with his wife, and his wife basically says to him, look, I'm an old woman, uh, so if you want a son, why don't you take my handmaid? Uh, Hagar and you can have sex with her and, uh, and then, you know, she'll give you a son uh, and, uh, and there you go. Now you can, you can fulfill the promises that God has given to you. Do you see the folly in that? Well, Abram didn't. Him being a guy, he's like, sex with her? Sure. Okay. And so, you know, sounds like a good deal and I'll do this and so what happens is, is he conceives a child with Hagar. Ishmael is now born and so God shows up and uh, he says, look, Rom, I promised you I was going to give you all these descendants, uh, and, and, and this, this is not my plan. And, and Abram actually argues with him, and he says, oh, come on, give me my descendants through Ishmael. And the Lord says, that's, that's not how it's going to work. I promised you a son with your wife Sarai, and that's what I'm going to do. And so what, what happens is a very curious thing. God enters into this covenant. Agreement with Abram and changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And, and he basically says to him, okay, look, here, here's the way this is going to work. I'm going to enter into this covenant with you. I'm going to give you a child. And the symbol, the sign of this covenant is going to be circumcision. Now, the point is not lost on me, and I'm certain it's not lost on you, that God takes and, and I'll put this very delicately. He takes the, the instrument of the flesh and he cuts it and basically says, essentially, look, here, at the risk of oversimplifying it, look, it, it's not about you engineering things. It's about you trusting me by faith. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you this painful reminder that, it, that it's not the engineer of the flesh that's, that's going to accomplish the, the, the blessings in your life and the purpose for your life and the plans that I have for, f- to, to accomplish in and through you, you're not going to help me out and do that in your own strength and your own efforts. And so here's going to be the symbol, the sign of this covenant. It's going to be circumcision, and, and, and this is how it's going to go. So, so this happens, and, and, you know, of course, uh, Sarah does conceive, uh, and, and so Isaac is born, and Isaac is the son uh, of promise. And, and so what happens is this opens the doors for massive conflict that continues to this day between the Jews and the Muslims. Because what happens, the conflict centers around this question who is the heir, who is the child of promise? And, and the correct answer is Isaac. Isaac is the, is the child of, of promise. He is the one that God sovereignly chose the Jews uh, to, to be, you know, descendants of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and, and Jacob and all. And, and so, and, and he's the one that God sovereignly chose. Hey, he sovereignly chose the Jews to be his special people. In fact, God spoke through through the prophet Amos, and he said, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Now, here's why he did this, and we're going somewhere with this, so stay with me. Why he did this, and this is very important, God chose the Jews to receive his special blessings so that they would be a channel of his blessings to others, okay? And so he says, you're my special people, and I want to set you apart. And he said this in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was God's intention. I'm going to set you apart and I'm going to bless you, and and it's for the express purpose of blessing everyone in the earth through how I work in your life, okay? That's important, remember that. So what happened is now Israel supposed to be this vessel through which the knowledge of God would spread to the entire world. But what happened, well, they've got these laws and they've got these customs. And again, they're supposed to serve as tools for witness. That, that the whole Gentile world is supposed to look on and say, there's something different about you. And there's something very, very pure and holy and set apart and righteous about you. This is, this is this idea. This is what it's supposed to be. But instead, what that separation became, it became a source of pride for the Jews. It became a source of, you know, this is us and this is you. You know, Brian Regan, Did you see it, me, you. Do you see the difference? Me, you, you know. And so this is what it became with them, that there was this, hey, this is me, this is you kind of thing, rather than, hey, I'm here to serve as an, as an, as an example of God, as a, as, a, as a light to the world, and I'm here to, to, to show you and lead you to God. Now it became this, uh, the haves and the haves not. This is, I'm the elite, and, and you're scum, basically, that's exactly what happened. And we see, it, we see it reflected throughout history. We see it reflected over and over again in the Bible where there's this separation and this hostility and this division. Um, the, the hostility between Jew and Gentile was so great that, that if a Jewish person saw a Gentile woman travailing in childbirth and she needed help and assistance, They considered it sinful for them to help that woman in any way, shape, or form because then they would be participating in bringing another Gentile into the world. They were so warped and twisted, they thought, because they were God's chosen people, that the Gentiles were subhuman, and as a matter of fact, they believed that Gentiles were created precisely and particularly to fuel the fires of hell. That's why they thought, hey, God created these people so that hell would burn hot. So, you know, as kindling, basically. That's, that's the way they thought of the Gentiles. Completely the opposite of what God wanted to do. Hey, I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to bless you because I want, I want everybody to be saved through you. And so, you know, again, over and over again, these these horrible things. There were, there's a, a rabbinic writer who, who writes a story about a Gentile woman. It, 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 it worked out. I mean, she saw the Jews, God's intent and purpose was that they would see God through their their holy, separated lives. And she saw this and she went to the rabbi and she said, I see that you have this this holy, separated life with God and I want that. That's what God wanted all along. So she comes to the rabbi, she says that and she basically says, I want to come near to God. And the rabbi says to her, you can't come near to God, and He slams the door in her face. A couple of other examples we have. If you were with us uh, a couple of years ago, we went through the Book of Jonah. Jonah, man of God, prophet of God. God calls him to go to Nineveh, and He says, "I, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go preach to the people of Nineveh," and um, and he refuses to go. He, he he gets on a boat, going the opposite direction. And uh, and God has to basically force him to go. And finally, when he does go, um, he's so angry he doesn't he doesn't work to prepare his best message. He basically says, uh, "Look, you know, there's, you got this period of time, and then you're all smoke. You're all dead." That was that was his message. And they repented. And what happened? Jonah got mad. He got mad that they repented. He got mad that God would show them grace and forgiveness and favor. He he completely missed it. One more example. This, this, This attitude of, hey, you know, this is me and this is you, had become so ingrained, even when we get into the New Testament, in Acts chapter 10, with Peter he still is dealing with the same attitude. So much so, when, when you read there in Acts chapter 10, there's, there's, there's this Gentile. His name's Cornelius, and, and, and he's a centurion, which means he's a leader of a, of a, of a hundred men. And, and he's part of the Italian regiment. And this is a man who is seeking after God. He wants to know God. And so God, through his Holy Spirit, he's sending him to Peter. His, his chosen vessel to bring this man the gospel and to lead him to Christ. And what ha- God has to do, I mean, remember, Peter spent three and a half years with Jesus. And we're going to look at next week when we get into chapter 3, this great mystery. And the great mystery that was this big eye-opening thing for the New Testament church was that God loved the Gentile equally as he loved the Jew. This blew their minds because there was such hatred. And such division and such animosity. And so what God had to do, even though Peter had been with the Lord for three and a half years, he still had to give him a dream where he he saw all these unclean animals being let down on a sheet. And and the Lord would say to Peter in the dream, Arise, kill, and eat. And Peter would argue with him. And this would happen several times because Peter, thick-headed, would not get the message. And God wanted to drive it home, Look, look. Because God's answer to his argument every time was, look, don't you call unclean that which I have made clean. Well, then what happens is this guy comes to him, this, this Gentile, and now Peter's been prepped. And that's what God had to do. He had to prepare Peter and say, look, a Gentile's going to come to you, and I don't want you to be divided. I want you to, in unity, I want you to reach out to this guy. I want you to minister to this guy. I want you to lovingly try and reach this guy. It's because Israel never fulfilled their calling because they chose to condemn the Gentiles rather than love and witness to them. And here's the question. Here's the application. Is that me? Is that you? Is there a part of you that, that just is so caught up in your religious superiority that you're spending time judging those people who you deem to be outside and unworthy of the love of God. And see, is there a callousness? Is there a hardness to our heart? This is what needs to happen here. And what, what, what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 2 is he's basically saying, look, there's Jew, there's Gentile, and, and that's about the biggest division that we could ever possibly address. And even in that, God's desire is that there would be unity and that we would come together in Christ. Look, there's a lot of issues right now that are dividing this world. And we live in very contentious times, don't, do we not? Very contentious times. And what I'm seeing as a pastor... I'm seeing churches, when we ought to be uniting more than ever before, we're dividing more than ever before. I'm seeing Christians fight against other Christians, churches fighting against other churches, and, and we're, we're, you know, we're majoring in the minors, and we're causing these stupid things to divide us. I, just, I had a, 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 a friend on Facebook this last week. He's a pastor. Um, if I told you his name, you'd know it. And, and he, he, he's sharing... That that another friend of his for years and years has disfellowshipped with him and and has broken off their friendship because of the guy's position on the rapture. Uh, you know, my the, my friend he happens to be pre tribulation. Uh, position. He thinks that, you know, before the tribulation period that God's going to rapture the church, you know, out and, and all. Well, this, this other guy, a guy he's known for years, he doesn't hold to that eschatology. He believes in a, in a different end times, you know, scenario. And, and the fact is, hey, this is a minor issue. I mean, we, Reliance Church, as a Calvary Chapel, we hold to a pre, pre-tribulation position. That's, that's our doctrine. I believe that. But I'm not going to break fellowship with somebody who, who doesn't hold to that position because, because that hurts the heart of God. That's a minor. Now, if I've got a pastor friend who says, hey, look, let me introduce you to my wife Sally and my wife Sarah and my, well, okay, I'm gonna break fellowship with that guy, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, major sin issues. I'm talking about we divide over the craziest, stupidest things. And it happens all the time, it happens all the time. My question for you, man, is Is there a division happening in your life? This is just grieving the heart of God that you've got to make right. Because this is the big idea here. This is what he's saying. And we have to take a walk with this and go, man, is this me? Am I so caught up in, in, in my religiosity that, that my, I, I got damaged relationships? i got people that I've written off that God loves and that he died for and that i got to be reaching out to. See, here's what the Jews forgot. You know what the Jews forgot? They forgot that they were once Gentiles too. See, when I told you that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that's modern-day Iraq, you know? That's, that's, that's Gentile central. Where, where is that? Well, it, it's roughly the address of, of Nineveh is what it is. And so what had happened, you come full circle and now you've got Jonah, a a Jewish prophet of God who refuses to go to Nineveh, the very place where God called Abraham, the father of faith. It's crazy. So Paul says in effect, listen, you were once Gentiles in the flesh. And ironically, you've been divided by the Jews. This is what he talks about when he says, hey, uh, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in flesh by hands. This is sort of, it's sort of a play on words. It's sort of what Paul is doing is he's saying, look, you've got this group who calls themselves the circumcision, and let's just take a walk with that. What is that? It's a very symbol of their sinfulness and of their taking stuff into their own hands, right? And so they take pride in this thing that God said, hey, look, this is the symbol of the covenant, circumcision. They conveniently forget why the circumcision was there because Abram operated in the flesh and not in the spirit. But now they're going to take pride in this thing. Hey, we're the circumcision. We're right with God. And and so, you know, they call you the uncircumcision, which is what we tend to do, by the way, when we vilify a different segment or a different group. We we pick a name for them. We, we, We give them a nickname, and it's usually a derogatory kind of name. Sociologists talk about this, that we have a tendency to give nicknames to people we love and nicknames to people we hate. And usually the people we dislike, we give them some sort of a derogatory nickname. I know the Holy Spirit right now is just kind of convicting some of us there. We're like, busted. And and so what Paul is saying, look, you were once Gentiles in the flesh. Ironically, you were derided by the Jews who were themselves once Gentiles. And and they now pride themselves in a practice that was instituted to the work of their flesh. And, And even more ironic, that practice has now also in and of itself become a work of the flesh. Now they, they perpetuate this, this thing of, of circumcision and they think that that's what makes them right. That's not what makes them right. The whole symbol was to say, don't engineer the works of the flesh. Trust in God and operate by, by faith in him alone. And see, so here's the point. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're all a piece of work. That's the point. Apart from Jesus, do you, and, and I alluded to this last week. Do you remember who you used to be? Because I do. I remember who I used to be, and God is very merciful and gracious in my life, has been for a number of years. I'm so grateful for that, and he's very patient and long-suffering with me, and I'm, I'm so glad that I'm not the guy that I once was, and I'm even, I'm even more glad that, I, that I'm, not the guy, I'm not going to be the guy that I am today, that God is being faithful with me, and that he's making me day by day a new creation in Christ and the same loving patience that God has shown to me, well, hey, listen, he's called us to show that loving patience with others. And so maybe you're divided from somebody today, and the Lord would say to you, it's time for you to exercise maybe the same degree of patience that I've exercised with you. There's a thought. Time maybe for you to be as loving towards them as, hey, listen, I've been loving towards you. You remember, Jesus told a parable about a guy who, you know, he, he owed this ocean of debt to this king, and the king was going to have him thrown in prison, and he begged him, and he begged him, please, please, you know, give me time to repay, and he owed so much money, it's like our national debt, you ain't repaying it, it ain't, you can't get there from here, it's not going to happen. And the king had mercy on him, and he forgave him his entire debt. And you, you know the story. He promptly went out, ran into a guy who owed him the equivalent of a few hundred bucks, and he had him thrown in prison. So that guy pleaded with him just like he had pleaded with the king, but he wouldn't hear it. It's like having him tossed in prison. And his servants found out. They freaked out. They went to the king. They go, you know what the scumbag just did? You forgave him all of that money, and then he went out, and he had this guy thrown in prison. And the king hauled that guy's sorry butt right back in before him, and he's like, okay. So that's how it's going to be? Well, let me toss you in prison. And I'm not going to let you out until you pay the last penny. This is Jesus' story. Parable. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The idea is that we need to be those that are lovingly forgiving to others. Just the same way God has been to us. David Guzik said this. He said, If the lordship of Jesus is not greater than any difference you have with others... Then you have not fully understood what it means to be in Christ. Ouch! That one hurt right there. So again, if if right now today you're divided from another Christian, and there's something that you can do about it, and 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 I need to be I need to qualify that because sometimes you know we're divided for for good reason. You know. Uh, Romans 12:18 tells us if it's possible as as it as depends as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men. There's some people that it's out of your control. It's out of your hands. It doesn't depend on you. You've 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 exercised a willingness to reconcile. You've exercised a willingness to be made right with somebody and and it's out of your hands. Or or perhaps, you know, there's a situation where I can't reconcile with that guy because he's in sin. And this is a biblical situation where I've gone to him and I've tried to correct him and he's going in this direction and there's nothing that I can do to turn him from that direction and I have to break fellowship with him biblically. We're at the place where where I can't go with you there. I got to turn you over to Satan, which sounds very harsh, but it's actually very loving because the heart behind that is to say, listen, there ain't no teacher like the burnt finger and so you go get burnt and I'll be here to love you when you realize that you made a mistake. And for some, some of our relationships are fractured because that's the dynamic, and that's okay. That's just, you've got to pray for that person, and you've got to be like that that father watching down the road for his prodigal son, looking for them to, the slightest hint of them to return so you can run to them and to make that relationship right. But for some of us, that division, man, there's something that we can do about it. And that's where Paul says, man, if, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, you need to live peaceably with all mankind.